0: Neil, back to Hachimura! Um, Um, First off, Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.
1: It was more just shocking to hear from him and understanding that he gets the most assist from me and the most spoon-fed bastards ever. You know, the culture is actually damn good. To sit up there and to say you don't have a culture problem in the nation's capital, everything about the
0: organization points to a culture issue.
1: One guy took a took a sh- in another guy's shoe. I'm
0: a little pissed off about it, but I know how I am. I was kind of expecting it, honestly. It's disrespectful.
1: It was like <laughs> Eric Killmonger going for total domination. What's up, guys? We're not gonna be fucking sunk this year. Yeah! We're the Stanley Cup champions! Yeah.
0: Hey guys, welcome to the third installment of the Beltway Bros Podcast. Noel, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Doing great, doing great. As we said, we are bringing this daily, so it's been a interesting adventure all the way through so far. Learning a lot about technology, which is great, and um, I'm learning how to edit, and I think this sounds a little bit better than the first one. What do you think? Uh, absolutely. good
1: sounded like we were in a closet on the first one
0: yeah yeah this is this is much better so uh thanks for sticking with us we really appreciate it and today we're going to do a two-parter a last dance review but also discuss michael jordan's time with the wizards which is widely seen as a terrible time overall by national media but in the dmv i think people kind of disagree with that some do some don't but at least i do So let's get into it real quick, okay? So let's talk about The Last Dance. I think it was a phenomenal documentary overall. I really do. It was really great quality. It was an amazing thing to watch back in 1998, something that was not really seeing the access that we received from it. Of course, it was a bit of a a puff piece for Jordan because he had to approve everything. But with that being said, it was still really well done. But I can say I can only imagine what was on the cutting room floor on that one. Oh, my gosh.
1: It was it was a really good documentary, and I think the timing of it was good as well because there was really nothing else to watch. A lot of it I had already known. I grew up in that time period, huge NBA fan, so I, I knew a lot of it already. There were a couple backstories, and it was really interesting to see them go. Back locker room, full access. Nowadays, everything's full access, but back then, everything was very cloak and dagger. And it was very interesting to see some of the things. And it really shed some light and confirmed a lot of my beliefs on Jordan as a person and how the organization operated. So it wasn't a lot of surprises, but a lot of more so confirmation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And going over briefly the documentary, talking about Pippin, for instance, I was very disappointed in the way they portrayed Pippin in this. You know, he was looked at just another guy. He was on there. I mean, a lot of times they were talking about Steve Kerr more than him or or whoever, and bringing up the contract issues he had sitting on the last play in that playoff game. Truthfully, Jordan never won anything without Pippen prior to that for him coming, and on top of that, Pippen almost got to the finals the year before Jordan was playing. So it was really sad the way that they portrayed him and I think a lot of it was not a good thing for him and from what I've read he's not very happy the way they portrayed him either
1: no I, I agree with that but everything they said was true he sat out he would sometimes his heart wasn't fully there I get it he was screwed on the contract we know all that information what I what I really got out of the Pippen situation was it was very it was more Jordan heavy than I thought and how Difficult he was to deal with by teammates. The Pippen situation seemed like he was just some afterthought. But a lot of the players on the team were. Rodman, of course, they were going to. Which I was happy about because he's one of my favorite players. They gave a full episode to him and his antics. But for the most part, it was a Jordan show. And um, his fight through that season and past seasons and where he had gotten. How they portrayed everybody else was... Everybody was a kiss ass. Everybody appeased him. He could do whatever he wanted when he wanted, and a lot of it was earned. But he was a bully. He was an asshole. To hold your team to a higher standard is one thing. To belittle and destroy, and there were some careers. The crew coach situation for me was a very bothersome one, and I had already known about it. Him and Pippin, and Pippin's a coattail, and even he's even a sidekick when it comes to their personal beliefs on things. Never been a fan. I think his game is great. I think he was a little bit ahead of his time, actually. But they would focus in on a guy and be willing to destroy him. And that's not leadership to me. He wasn't a good leader. He was in it for himself. And yes, you said they wouldn't have won those titles without Pippen. That's absolutely correct. I don't think Jordan believes that. I think that he doesn't believe that anybody on the team helped him. I think they were a means to an end.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and he was really a tyrant. It's, it's, it's scary to think about what would have actually been seen if that wasn't a puff piece basically produced by Michael Jordan. But I also wanted to talk about Jerry Krause, who, to me, I mean, he was num- enemy number one through that entire documentary. The guy built the team from the ground up. He was ahead of his time as well because with the, you brought up Coup Coach. I mean, nobody was really looking overseas for players out there at that time. Yeah, you know, he brought brings Coach in, and they eviscerate him during the Olympics. Go after him because Krauss liked him. Uh, he was the butt of every joke. He was sad. He was a really easy target. I mean, he's a little fat, short guy that they would just crush him at every every chance that they could. It was
1: oh, absolutely. That. And the glaring one is he brought in Phil Jackson with Jordan kicking and screaming because they were going to get rid of Doug Collins. Right. In spite of what Jordan wanted. Not the triangle, this isn't suitable for me and my game. And then all of a sudden Phil became the favorite. So in spite of some of the things that Jordan wanted, plus the fact that a lot of these players, when they would get to Chicago, the first person they would go to because of the way Jordan acted, because of the demoralization that he caused... They would go to Kraus and they would say, look, I want the hell out of here. I can't deal with this guy. I don't know what his problem is. And this was a veteran team, a lot of them. And like I said before, there is no problem with your best player wanting the best out of his teammates. I don't have an issue with that. But when you come in and are humiliating people and calling them hoes and bitches all the time and being relentless on Scott Burrell and... Kerr comes in, you know, he's just trying to make his way. And he's always had a hard work ethic. Jordan takes credit for all the positives that these guys have done. as if His kicks in the ass every single time are the only reason why these guys were productive. These guys were good players. Bill Cartwright was a veteran when they traded. He didn't like the Bill Cartwright trade because he loved Oakley. So what happened when Bill Cartwright came in? He starts throwing impossible catch passes to him to prove that they should have never gotten him. that That's real leadership there. That's really uh, wanting to prove your point that you want to win a championship is to have these guys come in and humiliate them in front of everybody else.
0: It's a good job. Right, and the irony is that Jordan tried Krause's role and failed miserably and is really still failing with the Hornets to this day. Krause may not be able to shoot a basketball because he's 5'6", <laughs> the way his body is. Oh, he's like but, the pain uh, He's like... <laughs> <laughs> You'd think that at this point, Jordan would kind of come to the realization that, wow, it may have, it's not that easy. But he didn't show that at all in this documentary. He's been through what Krauss had been through for what, the last 20 years?
1: Not an ounce of reflection. Not an ounce. Not in any of it. Not during his behavior. During, you know, when you get older, a lot of times people have reflection and they become wiser and they realize, okay, I was a little bit probably out of bounds on a certain couple of things. Non-apologetic, this is how it is. If you don't get it, you've never won anything, quote unquote. And that's, it's ridiculous. And it just, all it did was confirm. I've never been a huge fan of Jordan. I'm sure everybody can get that vibe, but this just confirms everything that I saw. And going into this, as far as from a player standpoint, he didn't help the league in any way as far as where the league went forward. Yes, on a worldwide right. standpoint, absolutely. Helping out internationally was the was the face of the of the league. But as far as team game, but prior to that it was always people were fans of teams, not players. They enjoyed their home team. These day even up to this day it still resonates. People are it's a players driven league. People like the players. They don't care really care as much about what team they root for
0: to a certain extent. And well, he, I think that's more of a millennial issue than anything else. Well, but. no,
1: I think after the Jordan situation, they started to like players, and that's what the NBA force-feeded. They were always trying to fight in the air apparent to Jordan after that, whether it be Amfordy Hardaway, Vince Carter. Harold Miner. Harold Miner, baby Jordan. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was just a constant, constant time. I mean, you look at the ratings of the New York Knicks-Houston series, it was one of the lowest— that they had had, because those were teams. They had players on them. There's no doubt about it. But they didn't have that marquee guy that, besides a big man, they wanted that shooting guard or small forward guy that was a slasher that shot 45 times a game. They couldn't find that guy. And finally, we're starting to come back a little bit to where it's more rhyme or reason besides the running gun shit. But he really had a lasting effect on the league and what the outlook on what the league should be for a long time, especially with Stern, who completely was on
0: his jock badly. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, you know, I, I will say to close that out, the memories that were brought back during that time were amazing for me. I mean, the, watching the Gatorade commercials and, the you know, the, the whole thing was really exciting from that regard. Simpler times back then, I guess. Didn't didn't have to worry about as many things. And also when I was actually watching when he retired uh, his first time and I was like, man, this is the biggest story that you have in 98. Shit. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) could you (laughs) could you imagine like that's the biggest story for that year was Michael Jordan retiring. And that puts things in perspective of how easier the world was back then. Oh, Yeah.
1: I mean, the nostalgia of the, of it was really what I enjoyed, especially that transition from, and I'm a traditionalist when it comes to the league, especially early on in the episodes where the Lakers were still there. Boston was still there. They were still fighting through Detroit, tried to fight through Detroit. I mean, that was just an epic time for me. That was the golden age of basketball. And I'm not taking anything away from Jordan, but those teams got old and this is where he came in and the torch was passed and willingly by the league, believe me. They wanted him to win those championships, just like they said in the documentary. But let's get something straight. Those teams were done for, and he had to wait his turn, and that's the only way it happened. That happened based on age, not because he all of a sudden took his game to a completely new level. He was still a great player. It was just a matter of those teams took a drop-off, and then it was his
0: turn. Well, in fairness, there were still great players during his era as well. Absolutely, the Barclays, Ewings, etc. Carl Malone, all those guys. I think that it turned from when the Lakers and the Celtics from a team game to a to more iso ball with Jordan, and the league was hurting for years after that yeah. because of the style that they were playing with the Allen Allen Iversons of the world. And and well,
1: and, you look at you look at how their star players are treated now. That all stems back from Jordan. Okay. Um. In his early days, they used to kick the shit out of this guy. And later on down the road, you couldn't touch him. And it still resonates now. You look at it, it, drives you crazy. And it builds that hatred if you don't have that player on your team, like a LeBron. Or when Kobe was in the league. Or these guys that have built respect with the refs. That yeah. they can do anything they want. LeBron is a beast. He doesn't need help where he can just have the option to just drive to the basket anytime he wants to and get a foul or make the shot there there shouldn't be options it's a foul
0: it's a foul and that all stems back from the jordan time period and it still does well you can argue as well that detroit for instance the way that they played basketball really set back the nba as well because they they had to pull back considerably based off of the way that they were playing they were hurting people they were beating the shit out of people oh, i think baloney. that the jordan, no, the, it was. The,
1: the the Knicks were doing that after that as well. There were teams that were doing that and that was the way basketball was played. Give me a break. The Celtics-Lakers series, they were taking each other's heads off. It was always that way. It was just the it was a transition period where everybody, especially the guy in charge Stern, wanted a marquee guy and they didn't think it was a good look for Detroit or whomever else to be taking their head guy's head off, just like we do with quarterbacks today. They're protecting the main people that they have and the guys that they want to continue to push. Detroit just happened to come in at a time period where Jordan was the main look, and that was it. Teams were doing this all the time. You can look way back. You can look after Jordan left. There were some teams, like I said, the Knicks. It was just bad timing for the Pistons. And they said that yeah. in the documentary as well. They Everybody wanted Jordan, and that was it. We have to have Jordan in the final. That was well, something.
0: I will say th- I will say this. There was still a lot of rope given to these guys, even in 98 when Jordan, and it may have just been because it was Jordan, but he spiked the ball at, I think it was Carl Malone after he got fouled, spiked the ball at him right at his head. I mean, that, that's a five-game suspension right there today if you do something like that.
1: Oh, and absolutely. I, I mean, it was a, a different era. He got attacked and he moved on. Yeah. It was a different era. I mean, they, they uh, it's its become more and more as the time going on. Hell, back then you could jump into a crowd and beat the shit out of a fan and you probably wouldn't get suspended. You'd get suspended for a few games. Now, you might not even play in
0: the league anymore. Yeah. The second part of this is, is Michael Jordan's time with Wizards. This is a DC podcast after all. And what kind of pissed me off... During the documentary, it's like it never even happened. It wasn't even a footnote at the end. It was just they had the words at the end, basically saying, "Oh well, uh, you know, Ku coach moved on to this. Uh, Rodman never played another, however many games." This thing was primarily about Jordan. Pretty sure he played two extra years. Is that just taken off of the uh, the, the history books? The documentary was based on the '98 Bulls.
1: It was the last dance that was the theme of the show the wizards had nothing to do with it okay it was not it, it yes it was a jordan heavy show and i wish they would distributed the wealth a little bit within what the bulls were but the intention of the show was to show that this was going to be the last hurrah of this team so Fair what enough. would have been what would have been the point of them going into what are they going to show him as a gm for 2 years with the wizards and then show him Freaking crawling out onto a court as an old man with the Wizards. It was the last dance for a reason. It was the
0: 98 Bulls season. That's it. Okay, well, to counterpoint that, then what did his time with North Carolina have to do with anything? What did the, the, the years before 98 have to do with anything? They
1: were doing flashbacks on a buildup to where they got to that point. They were showing yeah. backstories of those players on that team. It was a flashback as of the modern time was 98. And you were looking at it from a 98 standpoint, and they were showing you who was on the team, where these guys came from, and the buildup to where they are now and fighting Understood. for a
0: 98 championship. Understood. But when they gave an update at the very end with the, the points of where everybody went and where their careers went, Jordan was completely taken out of that equation and what he did in future seasons in the NBA. You would have thought at least that would have said something about that. It's like it, it was wiped off the history books. Well, it didn't make any sense to me. I think he wants it wiped off the history books too. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, and, and there you go. That goes back to him having to approve everything. So quickly, if for those who don't remember, I remember this vividly, but as Noel mentioned, Jordan was the president of basketball operations and the partial owner for the Wizards after he retired. He was retired for three seasons before Jordan, call it BJ, I guess uh 1963 <laughs> they, they were 1963 in 2000 in the 2000 2001 season terrible god what a shitty team i know right Oof. and the wizards had the second worst defense that year second i think they're first this year <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and uh and then uh so they went around hired doug collins his main squeeze the guy that they got rid of for phil jackson in 2001 2002 he played 60 games they were in the playoff hunt during that season right? Before his injury, which he actually hurt his knee, he had an MCL tear. He was leading the team in scoring, assists, steals, 25 points a game, six rebounds, five assists, two steals a game. And the thing that really jumped out to me was that with relatively the same teaming, they added some pieces, of course, but they were the sixth team in the league by points allowed prior to Jordan's injury, What going from second worst to sixth. And then the 20 games prior to his injury, Jordan averaged 27 points, six rebounds, five assists. And then at, when he returned the last 10 games, he averaged th- almost 30 points, six rebounds, six assists, one steal per game and about 35 minutes per game. And they ended up with 34 wins just right outside the playoffs. They were the 10th seed. And this is when, you know, the East was pretty good top to bottom. So I, that was 2001, 2002. I think that that kind of illustrates what he brought to the team and how he was able to push these guys probably in a terrible, tyrant, assholeish ish manner, I should say. But he got the most that he could out of a team that was pretty, pretty weak talent-wise. Well,
1: I mean, there was no place to go but up. They had 19 wins the year before. They were productive. I mean, they started out that season 2-9, and and they went on a nine-game winning streak. They ended up hitting the All-Star break, I think, at like 26-21, and so they were showing some upside. I don't think enough credit goes to Richard Hamilton for all that. Uh, I mean, the guy did average 20 points a game as well, and the big skid that they had after the All-Star break was because Hamilton was out for five weeks. And Jordan was a one-man show, and Jordan went into the season already injured anyway, had broken ribs. He came into the season about 40 pounds overweight um, and had to fight through the season in order to get to game shape. So, yes, did he show the team that they could win with what they had? Absolutely. I think it was at the expense of a lot of things, like he did with the Bulls. I think that, not saying that, for example, Kwame Brown would have been an amazing player. He's one of the biggest busts of all time. But... I don't think when you call a guy that just out of high school and practice a fucking faggot in front of everybody and you put the guy into tears multiple quote, times, unquote. quote unquote, Your <laughs> I mean, Your wor- I, his words, not yours, yeah, his, his, his words, not mine. <laughs> And you continue to berate the guy who's 19 years old out of high school with a bunch of veteran guys who already feels isolated to begin with because it's a bunch of old men and you're the only teenager on the team and you're being berated by what's considered one of the greatest players of all time and a hero to a lot of people. That's got to kind of stunt your growth a little bit. And that's what I'm saying as far as seeing the forest for the trees and being in your own lane and not caring about who's destroyed in the process. Now, There were some good times during that season. The one that stands out the most is because I'm a big Rip guy is the game winner that Jordan hit against the Cavs. And the the, everybody, the iconic Wizards, iconic, I mean, gosh, Jordan with the Wizards, iconic for us, I guess, (laughs) is when he hits the buzzer shot to beat the Cavs and Rip comes up next to him and does the fist pump with him. And I looked at that recently again, the double fist pump. And I looked at that recently again, and that's a microcosm of just who Jordan is. He doesn't even look over at Rip. He pretends like nobody else is around. Rip comes over to him side by side and has a big smile on his face. And Jordan's just sitting there, just taking it into himself, has no regard for anybody else around him, just a complete asshole. And just right after that, for example... Rip goes up to him and asks him about, hey, do you think I could wear some Air Jordans? And Jordan responds to him, and this is at a practice a few days after the buzzer shot, and Jordan responds to him, Jordans are only worn by All-Stars. You well, can't wear my shoes. Straight up. This is what you're telling your teammate. This is your young guy, your up-and-rising
0: guy, that, fuck off. You're not wearing you my know, shit. You know what's funny? Uh, after that season... Before he got traded away, when I was working at the Gaithersburg Department of Rec, Rip Hamilton walked in. I know, I, I, did I ever tell you this? No. And man, I just got all these stories, and I, you know, I know. Don't even, uh, Where have I and been? So, <laughs> and so he walks in, and my, fr- you know, he was very nice. He, you know, kind of standoffish or whatever. But I talked to him for maybe a couple minutes, and it, you know, I was like, "How's, how's it like playing with Jordan?" He was like, "Eh, he's all right." So I could tell something was up, but it's, even at that time, the media still portrayed Jordan as God, as the man, right? He could do no wrong. He was the, the greatest of all time, squeaky clean image outside of a couple gambling things. That's what was interesting about it because I was kind of taken aback a little bit because I was like, huh, I, okay, I guess he's not a huge fan. But what's funny about it is that not long after that, he got traded away for Jerry Stackhouse and then up being great at the end of the day.
1: Well, with the, with the Hamilton situation, that statement that he gave to you is pretty much everybody's attitude that played with Jordan. Right. They dealt with it because he was the great one. And, I mean, guys laughing in the locker room, some stupid fucking joke that the guy tells. Ha, 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 everybody has to laugh because, God forbid, if you see one person not laugh, he'll call you out and, and uh, you might be out of a job. So everybody, it was, yeah, it was tyrannical. And when he got to the Wizards, you had some some guys on that team, and you had this old ghost that all of a sudden shows up, and now everybody's got to get in line. Understood. The team sucked. They had no reason to talk. What was their attitude going to be? They should have gotten in line. They had no reason not to, but he was doing it for his own personal gain. He was doing it to try to improve a brand. He didn't come back to all of a sudden win another championship. He was doing it to improve a brand. He thought he was going to have ownership of the team after he was after everything was said and done. Get him back Little to the
0: did he know. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> get him back to the postseason and um and and get a brand back out there for a team that he was investing in. And that was why he came back. And in the midst of that, while he's the boss, He's treating these guys, guys that he wanted, guys that this is his team. This is the team that he is going to own. And he's treating these guys like complete dog shit. And Mm -hmm. it was just par for the course for him. And he saw his own goals and it didn't matter who he burned in the process. Moving
0: on to 2002-2003. as I mentioned, they traded for Jerry Stackhouse. I think that he was less willing than Rip to play that Robin role to his Batman. So Jordan comes off the bench early on in the season to give way to Stackhouse. Still, everybody knew who the man was, of course, but it was to ease a little pressure on his knees. They played the same position. It it was uh, to look forward to the future more than anything. And if they could put this franchise on Stackhouse's back, you know, because he was more of a playmaker than Rip he could drive to the basket better rip was more of that mid-range jump shooter so Jordan from his perspective I guess saw some of himself and him they were both bald which also helps I guess North Carolina anyway, North Carolina so he loves those you know, North that, Carolina boys I'll tell you that much even,
1: he'll, he'll he'll get he'll
0: get the 12th man on North Carolina <laughs> just to have him on the damn team it doesn't matter what their record is they ended up with the exact same record that year Jordan played all 82 games. 37 and 45 it kind of ended as a whimper and he did still put up some numbers a little bit less than last year but he uh he was playing averaging 37 minutes a game at 40 years old absurd you know he was he averaged 20 points a game which isn't which is pretty good you know but and playing a ha, trying trying to coexist with stackhouse which i'm sure was so much fun he, in the locker he, room he,
1: he didn't coexist with stackhouse
0: what no, ended up with
1: stackhouse was is that Stackhouse was the better player at the time. Rip was the better player at the time. He wanted Rip, he wanted Hamilton out. He didn't feel that Hamilton had that defensive and hunger to take it to the next level. Ironically enough, the guy goes to Detroit, becomes a three time All Star, retire his number, wins a championship there. So he yeah. brings in Stackhouse, who, like you said before, is set in the same mold, but Stackhouse had a track record before that. He wanted out of Philadelphia. Because of when they got Iverson. Because he didn't want to be a Robin. When he went to Detroit, he didn't want to leave Detroit. He saw good things happening there. He said this. And then when he went to Washington, he was the primary target. He was the primary volume guy initially. Especially when Jordan, like you said, was coming off the bench. The team wasn't being productive as far as their record goes. So, Jordan plugs himself back into the starting lineup. Because Doug Collins is just a figurehead. And then... The offense starts going through Jordan again, where it's primarily isos, post him up, do a stupid little fade away, old man shit. And that was it. And then, and Stackhouse was sitting there with his thumb up his ass. He's like, what the hell am I doing here? So it was a thing where the volume, if you look through the stats per game, Jordan, by the end, was taking about six to seven more shots a game than Stackhouse was. And Stackhouse was still putting up numbers. He was a better player at the time. So yeah. Yeah. I get it, you're playing with Jordan, you have to maybe take a backseat, but still, I can understand the grievance, and I think they could have been a better team if they would have just stuck to the game plan, where Stackhouse was going to be the primary option.
0: Well, I think they would have been a better team if Rip would have stayed with the team. Oh, absolutely. But I, but I also do think that, with thinking about life after Jordan, Stackhouse is probably the better overall player. Rip was the a very good complementary player, especially like when he was with the Pistons on a on a team environment because Jordan was thinking in terms of ISO ball as he tends to do because that's how he plays I mean that's my opinion anyway and then also just these draft picks I mean trash Kwame Brown Jared Jeffries Jesus Juan Dixon was had an okay career I guess did he not great only no, thing I
1: remember didn't. about him is Planet at University of Maryland obviously and that he had a crackhead mom that's the only two things <laughs> that I remember about him <laughs>
0: no didn't they his didn't his parents die of AIDS was that was that him yeah something like
1: that I don't know some close tragic yeah. t- another tragic tale and his fight yeah. through it that's the
0: only two things that I remember I don't even right. remember that very well honestly well you know to close it up I think that Jordan long term didn't have a positive effect on the Wizards I mean eventually he was planning on going back handling personnel owning the team Abe Poland told him straight up no this isn't happening." We're still kind of unsure of the reasonings behind that. Maybe he just used him. Maybe he, they hated each other. We don't really know. I don't think that the true story's ever come out on that. Maybe you've heard something. I don't know. But
1: well, I think based on the Wizards organization, his track record for what he had done and the trades that they had made, they really didn't like the Hamilton trade, and that was yeah. one of that was kind of and and the Kwame first pick. Even though that, if you look back at that draft, that, that was draft, a draft was garbage. I mean, there was really. And and I think... Any- Leave it to the
0: Wizards to get the lottery pick on that draft, right? <laughs> right.
1: And so it was some of the moves that he had made, supposedly. I think that at the end of the day, A. Poland was going to milk that until it was done. Got him back on the court. Helped the brand a little bit. Get some people in the stands. And then move on from it. And yeah, Jordan got screwed in the deal. There's no doubt about it. One way or the other. But also his record as far as being player personnel and I think the vibe in the locker room nobody was gonna miss him I don't think anybody missed him in Chicago except for the fans and maybe the a couple of the players that were high-end players but beyond that I don't think anybody when he walks out the door sheds a tear when he leaves and I don't think that happened in Chicago and that definitely didn't happen with the Wizards overall I think
0: that it was a failed experiment but I do think that he was able to bring the Wizards into a national, international prominence, strictly because he was there. Right after that, Ernie Grunfeld gets hired, Gilbert Arenas, etc., cetera, etc. But I think that when you bring a team that won 19 games the prior year winning back-to-back 37 games with a 39 40 year old guy it helped the wizards in the short term possibly hurt them in the long term we got to see michael jordan play in dc it's no that still, was cool that was cool but it's still crazy even to think about
1: it, it was it was very strange it was it was almost surreal to watch
0: it, 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 was. it wasn't
1: even believable when you would look on the tv it was almost like playing a video game you know, and you just <laughs> right. put guys in different uniforms. It was a very strange time. In my humble opinion, I never was fully invested in it. It was kind of like when the Redskins got McNabb. I, I never I never felt it. I never felt the vibe for it. It was cool to see him on national TV, but they were still a bad team. And um I never was a fan of Jordan. I respect his game and respect what he did in the league, but it was never a it was never as exciting for me as uh
0: for others. Well, it was very exciting for me. And I will stick to that. And to wipe it off the history books in the NBA, I think is disgusting overall. And to any kind of national broadcast that just basically laughs at his time with the Wizards is bullshit. It really is. He, The guy at a, at a very advanced age did whatever he could and maybe held some guys back, but did some good overall. And it was, at the end of the day, fun as hell to watch for me. Uh, maybe Alex Smith can ask him for some advice. <laughs> why, why is this always pick on Alex Smith <laughs> alright well that will do it for this episode thank you again for joining us we really appreciate it please rate, review, and subscribe on all platforms uh, we will be here tomorrow as long as you allow us to do so and we thank you for listening and we will see you then